Hey, True Crime fam, I'm your host, Kayla Waters, and each week, you know I'm joined by our co-host, Alicia Jenkins, while I share with you my deep dive into another case. But my mom isn't the only one who joins us every week, because we strive to bring on guests or someone close to the family, or cases, you know, we're really close to. And by sharing a victim's story, we hope to put the pressure on for you to get involved and help make a difference. We present this show to expose the monsters lurking all around us. Alright, so today's episode is a tough one. I'll give you a trigger warning right now that we do discuss child abuse in today's case. And look, I get it. This stuff can be really hard to talk about and I do understand if you have to skip the episode. But I always like to remind you guys when I do these cases that are very near and dear to my heart about child abuse um, and children, I do them because these kids, especially ones abused by their own parents, are the most forgotten because child abuse is an epidemic. It's happening so often that society almost doesn't take it as a shock anymore when a child dies due to abuse or neglect. We are sad about it and then everyone just moves on. We don't talk about them. We don't say their names. It's not something anyone wants to listen to. And yes, while it is hard for us to discuss or for us to listen to, It was a lot harder for that child to go through and they deserve to have their story told and we need to keep spreading awareness on the epidemic that child abuse is. So with that, are you ready for today's case? So the case we're discussing today was not actually the case I planned to share with you guys this week, but I ended up coming across it when I was reading about another case that I was just online like wanting to learn more about. So you probably saw this mom because you're my friend on Facebook, but I was scrolling on Facebook a few nights ago and one of our best friends from Alaska had shared a post made by the Fairbanks Police Department. So when we lived in Alaska, we were there in North Pole, which is just down the road from Fairbanks. And like I said, if you're friends with me on Facebook, you probably saw that I shared this post. It was like this devastating post about a baby that had been murdered due to abuse. So my mind like had to know more about the situation. So I went online and I'm searching for more information on that little baby and her life. And it's during that sleuthing that I came across the case I'm going to tell you about today, which is also a case that took place in Fairbanks, Alaska. I'm going to start off with sharing some information on the case I came across via that Facebook post just to like kind of share with everyone what it was. Um, So this past Friday, November 4th, 2022, a call from a panicked mother had come through the dispatch at the Fairbanks Emergency Communications Center, and she reports that she had found her baby girl dead inside their home on the 1600 block of Central Avenue. So is this the different story? No. Is this the one you posted? Yes, this is the one I shared on Facebook. I'm going to just like quickly talk about it first and then lead into the next one. Okay. Yeah. So this is that one I shared on Facebook. So 
The Fairbanks Police Department, as well as the Fairbanks Fire Department paramedics are dispatched immediately, and they do find a one-year-old little girl deceased. And when they lay their eyes on her, it's clear that this was a case of murder. She has extensive visible injuries. Someone had hurt the baby. So the first officers on the scene make a call to the detectives and the crime scene investigator, and it's found that the day before, on Thursday night, this child's mother had gone to work. So she had left her daughter in the care of her living boyfriend. And there isn't much information on the case because it just happened. They haven't released the names of the mom or the child, but I was able to find this man on Facebook and it does seem to me that he was not just a live-in boyfriend, but that the couple was engaged. I'm not going to share the mom's name since it hasn't been shared yet. But they were like blaming the mom that she left the baby with the boyfriend. And I was like, are you kidding me? You're trying to blame this? The, the mom... Like, the mom's yeah. to blame for this? Like, no. We have no idea because, like, it doesn't even say the mom's name or anything. But, like, if he murdered the baby, he murdered the baby, you know? So, yeah, I'm with you. Yeah, it was it was the boyfriend who murdered the baby, not the mom. So why why did she I get know. blamed? Yeah. I, like, I do think moms are um, responsible for protecting their kids if they know their kids are being abused. Right. And like I said, not going to share a name since it hasn't been shared yet. And I'm sure they'll release more information. But this woman's boyfriend slash fiance is Zachary Johnson. And he was born on December 16th, 1990. So he's 31 years old, almost 32. And the baby's mom tells investigators that when she comes home from work, Zachary is like, hey, I got the baby to sleep. So she winds down from work and she goes to sleep herself. And it's the following morning when she goes to wake up her daughter that she finds her already deceased. So with this information, police bring Zachary into the Fairbanks Police Department to question him about the injuries they observe on this little innocent baby who had no way of defending herself. And at first, he tries to play it off, saying that the baby got her after roughhousing with her six-year-old sister. They were just playing around. I have no idea how she got this hurt, which obviously police do not buy it. Blame it on the sister. Yeah, like you're going to blame it on her <laughs> six-year-old sister that they were roughhousing. I have yeah. never heard of kids roughhousing and one ending up dead. So. Right. And if they were roughhousing that bad, why didn't you stop them? Yeah then you should have intervened. <laughs> Especially a six-year-old and a one-year-old. That's my kid's age difference. Right. So they explained to Zachary that they are able to roll out play fighting because the injuries are not consistent with something like two siblings messing around. So now Zachary changes his story multiple times, but he's caught in the lies and eventually he does have to come clean. He says it was him. He says that he was using excessive force and purposefully hurting the little girl on Thursday night while he was babysitting. So who could do something like this? Like, what reason do you have to physically assault a one-year-old baby? Well, Zachary says he just needed to play his video game and he needed the baby to take a nap so he could do that. So instead of laying her down and literally you could have just laid her down and let her cry it out. Like if you don't have the patience to put your baby to sleep, crying it out is the next step. Yeah, go go play your video game and put your headphones on and let her cry. Yeah. Like, do I think that's... She'll, she'll fall asleep. <laughs> yeah. Do I think you, like, just putting her in her room to play your video games is the nicest thing? No. But, like... Oh, well, it's better I prefer than killing. It. Yeah. 
I'd prefer it over you getting so frustrated that you abuse this child to her death. So he ends up demonstrating multiple ways he attacks this baby and he agrees that what he did to her likely caused her death. He's arrested on the charge of murder in the second degree for, quote, knowingly engaging in conduct that resulted in the death of another person under circumstances manifesting an extreme indifference to the value of human life. So he's a freaking monster. Anyone that can abuse a baby, the most innocent and pure little beings is evil in my book. But we know that these cases are often swept under the rug and the murders are usually given extremely light sentences. They really are. I don't understand why is it that when you kill a child that's under your care, that you're meant to protect, it's deemed less evil than someone who maybe murders a stranger. I know because they, like, that baby hasn't been able to experience life. No. Like, it, like the parents are going to miss out on everything, birthdays, mm-hmm. school, weddings, you know what I mean? Yeah. And not to downplay, like, adults, but, I mean, adults have gone through some of life. Yeah. Well, so so why do they get so much less time? Yeah, I can't like wrap my head around it. I and I truly think this is so like the sad reality. I think that it is, is that it happens so often. Child abuse is such an epidemic that it's almost like, oh, that's so sad. It hurts you to see. But then it's just forgotten about very easily because it happens so much. It's almost like not shocking that yet another person killed a kid under their care which of course is shocking and but it's just like society doesn't take it as like oh my gosh this happened and to me like all murders are obviously heinous they're all unacceptable but there's something for me about parents or guardians not protecting their children that really ticks me off yeah like it seems worse to me almost because you should protect your kid or, you know, the kid that's in your care that you're living with. Yeah. So. I wonder if they get away with it, like get less of a punishment because it's not like premeditated. Yeah. Like where they get so frustrated because he obviously is charged with murder in the second degree. So is he going to get life? Probably not. Right. But let's make sure he doesn't get like 12 days like the dude in Rigby, Idaho here. That walked out 12 days Mm. after his sentencing when he killed his three-month-old. Because they felt bad for him because he could have a good life. Everyone felt so bad for him. That case still pisses (laughs) me off. Rigby, if if you're someone in Rigby (laughs) that that works in, (laughs) I'm coming for you if I see you, if I ever come across you. I'm asking you questions if you were a part of that case. But with this case, I did... You know, obviously some sleuthing. I found his Facebook. I read lots of comments on the original Facebook post from the police department. And it does seem that it was known that Zachary was abusive to his girlfriend and her two daughters. So these girls were not protected by those around them. And you need to speak up if you have a bad feeling. Call authorities. Do what you can to make sure all everyone's children are safe and the Fairbanks Police Department does ask that anyone suspecting a child is being abused to contact your local law enforcement or you can call the child abuse hotline at 1-800-478-4444 which I think too many people do get worried about kids but never do anything 
and it's like take action even though maybe it seems like oh it's not your place to get involved it is yeah your place to get involved definitely I had wanted to share this story with you guys before diving into our main case because like we just said these sentences can often be too light like the you know that's it was a three-month sentence that guy got but he got time served and walked out after 12 days like Fairbanks should have the pressure on them to at least sentence this man to something that is just not you know not three months and I think you know we need to talk about these things so people can start seeing these killings as the monstrous act they are instead of just like oh this happened again so if you have any information on Zachary Johnson and his history of violence the FPD is seeking further information and you can call them at 907-450-6550 or you can email them at fpdinvestigations at fairbanks.us Moving on to the case I decided to dive into this week, like I said, I was online searching for information on the case I just told you about, and I came across an article that rocked my world because I lived in Fairbanks during the year this happened, and I've never heard about it. Mm-mm. Obviously, we're talking about kids in this episode, and littles always affect me on a different level level. I shed a lot of tears through this research. I always cry at some point when I research because I just feel bad, obviously, for what happened. But when I'm looking at pictures of babies, I can't handle it. Oh, I know. And why do you always do these cases? I know because nobody does. And it's like you have to remember the babies too. And I think they're like so often not talked about because a lot of times it's like one of the parents that killed the baby So then, you know, the baby's family, extended family, almost like a lot of times they will talk about it, but a lot of people also won't because it's their own child that did the murder or, you know, it's like so connected. Everyone just kind of wants to like move along from it. Mm -hmm. But I just think these babies deserve to be remembered. And this case is actually shocking. Like, hopefully I can make it through without any tears interrupting me. So it's November 20th, 2017 at 624 p.m. The phone the phones ring at the Fairbanks Emergency Communications Center and dispatch picks up. It's a woman's voice that comes through the phone and she says, my daughter, she isn't breathing. Something's wrong. We need your help. And the woman is 23-year-old Stephanie E. LaFountain and she's calling about her 13-month-old daughter Jasmine LaFountain. Stephanie and Jasmine, they live on Fort Wainwright Army Base, and that sits just on the edge of town in Fairbanks. So to get onto the Army Base, you usually have to provide ID. Some bases, only the military personnel and their families allowed on base. I don't really know the all the exact rules and regulations. I'm just going off my experience because I have been on Fort Wainwright Army Base, this Army Base we're talking about, but I had gone with like my co-workers bowling and one of her husbands was military in Ielson Air Force Base, which is nearby. We actually discussed Ielson way back in episode three when we discussed that North Pole serial killer. Anyways, what I'm getting to is that I was let on being with them and I think I still had to provide my ID and I swear I like couldn't get on in a car, but I actually could get on by myself if I was like on foot or riding a bike because I did ride my bike through the army base 
you know, when I was riding my bike all the time, I talked about that in episode three too, which I would like for exercise or to get to your no. Remember, I job. I had to ride because I was finishing cosmetology school, and I had to ride fourteen miles one way to get to the school from North Pole because it's like North Pole, and then it's Fort Wainwright, and then it's Fairbanks. Mm. So, and there was only a highway, so I rode on the highway a bunch of times. But then I was like, this feels dangerous. So then I rode through Fort Wainwright. And then I'd like go onto this back road, which I would literally never do again. I would rather get hit on the highway than go on a back road. I don't know what I was thinking. <laughs> I've got a lot more murder slash death anxiety now. So I definitely would not do that at this point. But yeah, I don't know. Maybe I'm completely wrong about who's like let onto the base and who's not. But I know it's somewhat of a process. But Stephanie, she lives on base with her daughter, although she is not military herself. She is married to a soldier, but at this point in time, he was out on deployment in Iraq. And her husband is William James LaFountain Jr. Everyone calls him Billy. And here in Alaska, Stephanie relies on support from Billy's family because he's gone. He's in Iraq and her family lives down in Oregon. Billy's mom, Kristen Thaler, lives down in Michigan where he grew up, but his dad, who was also named William LaFountain, and his stepmom, they live there in Alaska. So they're a huge part of his daughter's life. And everyone is thrilled when the couple welcomes Jasmine Rose LaFountain, aka Jazzy, to the world on October 18th, 2016. Billy's dad and stepmom bond quickly with Jazzy. She was lighting up everyone's world. His mom, Kristen, is able to come up about a month after her birth, and she stays for 10 days just soaking in her new granddaughter. She was so proud of Billy, and Stephanie seems like a great mom. She thought Jazzy was in good hands. But one year later, everyone's world comes crashing down when Stephanie makes that phone call saying that Jazzy had stopped breathing. Stephanie had also called Billy's family about the same time she calls 911. I don't know if she called them first or second. I would assume first because usually 911 tries to stay on the phone with you until someone gets there. So the family, she called the family that lives in Fairbanks? Yes. So she called Billy's dad and stepmom, I believe. And so they rush to her and they actually get there before like the paramedics. So they... They're able to get onto Fort Wainwright Army Base and they go to Stephanie's house and they start performing CPR on Jazzy until the paramedics do show up and they take her to the Fairbanks Memorial Hospital. And upon arrival, she's in bad shape, so she is immediately flown south to the Providence Medical Center in Anchorage, Alaska. Jazzy is then put on life support when she is only 13 months old. So she had just turned one one month before this. And during the chaos, family had tried to reach Billy, but there was no luck for a while because he's in Iraq. I don't think it's that easy to just call back and forth. I'm sure there's different time zones and whatnot. So when he does finally receive the news that no parent can prepare for, he is allowed emergency leave and he flies into Anchorage as soon as he can. Walking into the site of his little girl on life support was more than his heart could handle. And Stephanie was sitting in the room too. She seemed devastated. But it was a little weird when Stephanie leaves the hospital before Jazzy's life support is removed. So this baby's own mother is not comforting her as she passes away. Jazzy is instead surrounded by her dad, Billy, and his family. Very odd. Red flag. Uh, yeah. I would be like, they would be having to pry my baby out of my arms after the fact. I would never want to leave that room. Right. 
In 2020, Jazzy's grandma, Kristen, posts on Facebook saying, quote, three years ago today, the nightmare began. I got the phone call that I'll never forget. It still haunts me to this day. She sounded so rehearsed. I knew in my gut she had done something to our precious Jazzy. I'm not going into detail about the call because I'm not sure if I can at this time. After I hung up with her, I just remember screaming over and over. If she hurt her, I'm going to effing kill her. My husband asked me what's wrong and I couldn't tell him right at that second. I threw my hands in the air and cried out to God because I couldn't handle it. How could she? I wasn't there, but my ex-husband and his wife were. It breaks my heart to think of all they went through that day and the days to come after that. Our son was in Iraq with no clue what had happened because no one could reach him that day. I couldn't imagine when he got the phone call, a call no parent wants to get. Our poor baby so far away and trying his hardest to get home to his little princess on life support. I thank the army for getting him to the hospital within three days. My heart breaks every time I think about him walking into her hospital room, seeing his baby girl laying there lifeless and that evil woman sitting there acting like like she cared after what she had done. Stephanie left before they even took Jasmine off life support. What kind of mom does that? Jazzy's dad and his family was there by her side till the end. Jazzy went home to be with the Lord on November 24th. God rest her beautiful, innocent soul in heavenly peace. So this was his real mother, Billy's real mother that didn't live in Alaska. She lived in Oregon. Yes. Mm -hmm. This is Kristen who lives in Michigan. Michigan. It's Stephanie's family lives in Oregon. But Kristen lives in Michigan and she also runs the Facebook page that is dedicated to this case. Okay. Which I'll link here in the show notes so that, you know, people listening can go see it. But clearly she has some stuff to say about Stephanie. So did Stephanie cause Jazzy's death? When someone dies, a death investigation has to be started. Originally, it's the Fort Wainwright police that take on the investigation as they were the first on the scene, but soon they transfer the case to the Fairbanks Police Department since neither Stephanie or Jazzy were military personnel. Jazzy's autopsy is done and she was said to be a healthy baby with no genetic abnormalities, no diseases, and no injuries. Her death was determined to have been due to complications of anoxia, which is a lack of oxygen to the brain. Do you see that? Um, Or like, do you not see babies like that? I mean, yeah, we do see it like if a baby's born and there's like a traumatic delivery or something okay and there's lack of oxygen and that that's not like usually how they roll a SIDS death or something right which I mean Jazzy's over a year old which SIDS only goes up to a year right she is old but yes I would imagine SIDS would be ruled like that okay for lack of oxygen because they're not breathing yeah okay I Mm -hmm. didn't know how it would so this could be a tragic accident Like we just said, many babies die of SIDS, although she is a little past the age where you are normally worried about it. But they babies that age still might accidentally suffocate. I mean, I've seen terrible stories of just like tragic things that happen that were completely accidental, like a baby getting wrapped up in a blanket or, you know, whatnot. Yeah. But there is something in this investigation that catches detectives off guard. It was just two years earlier on September 15th, 2015, that an eerily similar situation occurs. On that date, at 5.01 p.m., Stephanie had dialed 911. 
She reached the Fairbanks Emergency Communications Center, and she said that her baby wasn't breathing. This could not have been Jazzy because she was born in 2016. In fact, she's just four months younger than my oldest daughter, Charlie, who I also birthed at Fairbanks Memorial Center. So Jazzy was just born after Charlie. So wait, she called, say the day? So she called. On the day she died? On September 15th, 2015. So this is a year before Jazzy is born. So Jazzy is not Stephanie's first child, nor is she Stephanie's first baby to suddenly die. Oh. Yeah. I was a bit confused there. I know. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. So... Like, no one was expecting that. The police, when they start their investigation, they don't know this until they find the information. So, in 2015, Stephanie was still going by her maiden name, Balecki, and she was living on 3rd Avenue in Fairbanks, Alaska. Following her 911 call, police and medics arrive at her home to find her four-month-old daughter, Cheyenne, unresponsive. Cheyenne has a different father than Jazzy, and she is taken to the Fairbanks Memorial Center and is pronounced dead one hour later at 6.20 p.m. Now, this is a case where I think SIDS would feel a lot more likely in everyone's minds, so I think that this is why... There's really no suspicion surrounding Cheyenne's death at first. Yeah, well, I think like 90% of SIDS cases are Mm -hmm. from age like one to four months. Yeah. It can be up to 12 months, but obviously it's more rare. Yeah, I've always heard something like that, like four to six months, like the odds go way down. Mm -hmm. So yeah, at four months, when a baby suddenly dies it can be thought to be SIDS, which I've been just saying SIDS, assuming people know what that is, but it's sudden infant death syndrome. And they basically pass away. Nobody really knows the cause. There's like risk factors like smoking Mm -hmm. um, increases it a lot. Like if you have smokers in the home or like, I mean, there's that big campaign where you need to lay the babies on their backs. Right. To sleep, back to sleep, you know. There's like so many different Um, factors that can play into it. And so it's just kind of hard to determine how exactly the baby died. Yeah, there's not like a specific. But it's usually because they stop breathing Mm -hmm. and then they die. Yeah. So I think in this case, it's very like that is just what everyone assumes happened, which I I think is very normal that everyone assumed Mm -hmm. that. Yeah, it could it could have. But now, you know, investigators are looking back and they they do find that Cheyenne's cause of death was deemed undetermined, even though she was also found to be healthy with no genetic abnormalities and no injuries. And I think that no injury thing really makes people think, all right, this is a SIDS case. So everyone thinks it's a tragic accident, but her symptoms were also consistent with suffocation. So what are the odds that Stephanie would have two babies die so similarly? Cheyenne's death was never investigated as a homicide, but now in conjunction with Jazzy's death, it puts a knot in investigators' stomachs. Now they dig deeper into Stephanie, and they find the smoking gun. Just one hour before Stephanie's 911 phone call in 2017 about her 13-month-old daughter Jasmine, she had been making some suspicious searches online. A forensic analysis of her internet shows that her searches include ways to suffocate, best ways to suffocate, ways to kill human with no proof, can drowning show in an autopsy report, 
16 Steps to Kill Someone and Not Get Caught, How to Commit the Perfect Murder, Drowning and Forensics, Suffocating and Smothering. Oh my gosh. So yeah. I know. That made me tear up. Right there. Like she did it. Yep. So they find that one hour before, which there's just something about her looking up the drowning it's like that is horrific suffocation is horrific as well but the fact that you could think to do this and a 13 month old baby I think of Willow who's like 18 or 19 months you know don't hate me I don't know the exact I don't know the exact month my baby's on but like they know they're like one-year-olds are not just oblivious to what's going on like they feel fear yeah that that's why it surprises me that there's no like injuries. I mean, I guess if she was sleeping and she did something like a yeah. pillow over the face, like the probably wouldn't yeah. have any injuries. But it's like to the little baby's body. So sad that you could just do that to like a little girl. But remember, I've I think I've put the I think I said this in a podcast before <laughs> when I ran yes. over the little kitten and, and I tried could, to suffocate it to put it out of its misery like and I couldn't. It, and it was like dying. I ran over it and it was like seizing. Yeah, it was going to die. And I was like, okay, should I help it like die faster? And then I thought about it for a sec no. and then I couldn't. And that's a cat. Like it's an animal. It's, I mean, you don't want to see them suffer. So you were doing it to put it out of its misery and you still could not do it. Couldn't. Yeah. No. I do not understand how you could not, first of all, not only do that to a kid in general, but to two babies, one four months old, and then your 13 month old, like she's. Do you think she really did it though to her four month old? Because like she wouldn't really need to search if she did it, she would know how. Yeah, I don't know. Or do you think, I I was kind of thinking like, did she like like the attention from that from her four-month-old dying and then she wanted this one too or that could totally be a possibility because in general even if she did kill both you know there's you know you try to look at it and see like why would you do that and that was one of my things that there are there is a condition out there where mothers do enjoy the sympathy they get off of their kid dying so you know they'll have multiple kids die and then they end up getting caught because they're killing their kids for sympathy oh my god so maybe I mean you know Cheyenne's death is like a lot less like um what's the word I'm trying to think of like the it's evidence. It's like less suspicious that it's her. Yeah, because she was four months the, old. The mother, because she's in the age, yeah, of SIDS. But, but I, I think, mean, maybe yeah, it was. The one thing that I think po- makes police think that it was the same circumstance is that she, looking at it without the thought of it being SIDS, they said all her symptoms were like the symptoms of a suffocation because she wasn't dead when Stephanie finds her she does make it to the hospital and then she's pronounced dead like an hour later so they must have noted some sort of symptoms and whatnot and I don't know Mm. it could be either one though yeah but police believe she did do the same thing to both kids and the calls are so similar she you know with both of them she calls and reports her kids not breathing was the billy the dad of the first one or you said no it was different dads no 
no mm. mm-hmm. i his name wasn't shared anywhere um the facebook page is ran by billy's family so there's a lot more information on jazzy but they also share a lot about cheyenne too and they want justice for both babies mm. I wonder if that dad thinks that she did it too. Yeah, it sounds like they post a lot saying like keep the dads in your thoughts and like stuff like that. So I do think he probably did not at first, but maybe is coming to that realization or I'm not sure because he didn't. I haven't read anything from him, but Billy obviously knows she did, which it's clear in Jasmine's case that she absolutely murdered Jasmine purposefully. Yeah. So you're going to search, you're going to search all this stuff. 16 steps to kill someone and not get caught. Here's step one. Don't look up how to kill someone. Yeah. <laughs> like. Do you not think your internet's going to be searched? I'm glad you're all like stupid. I mean, <laughs> I don't want to give people steps, but I mean, like, it's just ironic to me that you are looking for ways to make sure you get away with it, but you are not smart enough to know that they can see what you look up. Do you think if you exit, exit out on Google that it doesn't show that you looked that up? No, that's not how forensic analysis works on a computer. And delete the history. That's not going to work either. Some people do think it's gone once you delete it from your history, but it's not. absolutely not. not. So, you know, she's obviously just like, she's an idiot to me. So this is enough to determine that Stephanie had purposefully suffocated and murdered both of her daughters in two isolated incidents two years apart from each other. She got away with the first one, so she thought she could do it again. Or maybe, like you said, she liked the sympathy and she chose to do it again. I know. It's just kind of confusing because like if she did it in the first place, like to the first baby, why would she need a search? Like how to do it? Again. Like, how to do it if she did it. Yeah, I didn't think about that at all. And maybe that is the case. But it's like, that's kind of sick to, like, take your child's death and, like, instead of grieving for the rest of your life like a normal parent, like, I would never get over it. I'm sure you would never get over it. You're going to, like, like revel in that attention and be like, I actually would like to go through that again. No. Like, that's, like, sick and weird. Yeah, not kind of. Like you said, kind of. It's messed up. Yeah. (laughs) Definitely messed up. So messed up. So it's nine months after Jazzy's murder that Stephanie is arrested on Thursday, August 29th, 2018 at 2.02 p.m. A grand jury had indicted her the day before on Wednesday, August 28th, and she's charged with two counts of murder in the first degree and four counts of murder in the second degree. I wonder how they can prove with Cheyenne that she did it. That'd be hard to convict her. It probably will be harder on that one versus Jasmine's because it's so clear in Jasmine's. I'm assuming they'll put forward like the similarities just in the cases in general, the similarities in the calls and probably like the symptoms she had that like leaned towards suffocation. I don't know what they have because as you'll see, this case is still there's still no closure, even though she was arrested in 2018, forever ago. Is she sitting in jail then? Yes. Thankfully, she is in jail, but it is a little frustrating that it's been many, many years. So she was transferred to the Fairbanks Correctional Center, and then her bond is set at $2 million because she is deemed a flight risk. 
So, like I said, you'd think since she was charged in 2018, there would be a conclusion to this case by now, but there's not. They say that there are many delays due to COVID, and while jury trials did get pushed for quite some time, I find it sort of unacceptable that the trial hadn't concluded before the pandemic. She's charged in 2018, and COVID doesn't hit us here in the United States until early 2020. Usually, I feel like you've got about a year. True, but I mean... As long as she's sitting in there. I know. It's just like prolonging it for the families and they like are really wanting to get it just like done with and move on. Yeah. And I know Billy's actually waiting in Alaska. It sounds like he's staying there until the trial concludes. So he's kind of like, hello, (laughs) like, let's go. I wonder how that does work with the military. Yeah. So he he ends up. Take a leave or. It seems like he struggled. Um, he made a post on Facebook that he was in a really dark place for the past two years in 2020. So obviously from, you know, 2017 to 2020, he had struggled. It sounds like he did suffer with some addiction problems and just trying to cope with all of it. And then he had posted that he did attend a PTSD rehabilitation center So probably just a mix of what he saw in Iraq and his daughter's murder. And then that's when he had posted that he'll be in Alaska until his ex-wife's trial concludes, which it hasn't yet. And it seems that in February of 2021, things were supposed to kind of, you know, 2021, things were supposed to start heading towards being wrapped up. So he did retire um, honorably from the military in 2021 probably to go through this and then be done but Hmm. we're still here waiting so finally jury trials were set to start back up in Fairbanks on June 1st 2021 but the DA tells Billy and his family that he's not comfortable with Stephanie's case being the first up on his docket which like okay fine like he doesn't want it to be the first case I guess he's tried in a couple years So there's a pre-trial date set for October of 2021 and a trial date of November 1st, 2021. And this is four years after Jazzy's murder, six years after Cheyenne's. And then it's pushed again. So it was set to be this year with a pre-trial date in February 22 and a trial date in March. And then it's pushed again to August. And then it's pushed again to September. And then it's pushed again. And it stands right now to start in January of 2023. Oh, my goodness. I I wonder how they get away with pushing it out. I know. It's so frustrating, especially in a case like this, because it seems like this case, I don't think there's a lot of murder trials going on in Fairbanks right now. So I feel like this would be a high priority, but who am I to say that? I just feel like it'd be one you're like, we really have to get this one through. Like we're doing this. Yeah. Kristen Thaller, Jazzy's grandma, Billy's mom, she posted, quote, still can't believe it's postponed again. It's due to witnesses not being available. She's locked up and will remain locked up. We want them to do their very best on this case, but honestly, I can't wait for it to be over for my son and the other and the other father and our family. We all deserve closure and for these beautiful angels to rest in peace. I know in my heart they are in God's loving arms, which they had posted quite a few times on, you know, the postponing. They'd be like, yay, we have a trial date. And then they'd be like, never mind, it's postponed. So on one of those postponement posts, a Facebook commenter says, quote, 
I can't wait for justice for the girls. She milked my sympathy because I suffered miscarriages and had an apneatic daughter. She cried and I comforted the wicked evil witch. August better be the final move. And then I just thought it was like some good insight into Stephanie because this person is basically saying she was manipulated for the sympathy, which again could play into what you were saying where she enjoyed that sympathy. Mm-hmm. And the attention she was getting. Um, and then Kristen had replied telling this commenter, you know, Stephanie was good at putting on a show. She fooled us all before it happened and, you know, whatnot. So it seems that people really did think Stephanie was a good mom until all of this comes out. And um, as far as the trial goes, it's just been too many years that this trial has been postponed. The family deserves closure, and I will continue to follow this case through and post an update when the trial concludes. On April 25th of this year, Cheyenne would have been seven years old, and this October, Jasmine would have been six years old. The family writes on the Facebook page, Justice for Jasmine and Cheyenne, Happy Heavenly Birthday, our beautiful angel Jasmine. We miss and love you so much, Jazzy. Not a day goes by that you're not on our minds and you're always in our hearts. We wish we could see you, hold you, and love on you one more time. We will never understand why she took you from us. You were so little, beautiful, and so innocent. We miss you so much, Jazzy. One day we will be together again, but until then, we will be fighting to get justice for you and your sister. Rip our perfect sweet Jazzy. So... These sisters seem to have suffered similar fates at the hands of their own mother, someone so evil that despite the fact she clearly didn't want children, she continues to have them. Maybe, like we said earlier, she's one of those moms that gets off from the sympathy she receives losing a child. Maybe she had postpartum depression. Maybe she's just pure evil because she was calculated. She planned Jazzy's murder out and she believes she was going to continue getting away with it. Kristen posts a picture of Stephanie in her like gel suit and handcuffs and she says, quote, this is what evil looks like. I don't and will never understand why or how she could suffocate these two beautiful baby girls. I don't consider her a mother, just an incubator. She acted like a loving mother and we all cared for her so much. She had us all fooled for sure. So Billy was able to get a tattoo for his little girl. It is her first and middle name, except it's Jasmine. And then it turns into a rose. Jasmine turns into a rose and her middle name is Rose. So it's very sweet. And um, it has her birth date on it, October 18th, 2016, and her death date, November 24th, 2017. Um, it's just like a really sweet tribute to her and he posted about it on Facebook saying, I love you, sweetheart. He also said, quote, daddy's little angel every day feels like an uphill battle without you. I miss you and love you so much, Jazzy. These two little girls' lives may have been cut extremely short, but they impacted all those around them, all those who came in contact with them. There are so many people who are missing both Jasmine and Cheyenne. Like I said, the Facebook page is ran by Jasmine's family, so there's a lot more information about her. But I know Cheyenne's family misses her just as much. These little girls deserved to live the rest of their lives. They deserved to know each other. But I know these sisters are hand in hand in whatever afterlife there may be. I know they're with each other. 
looking through the photos of the girls just that's what really had me in tears through my research they are so cute and so sweet and their photos are just they'll break your heart to look at and know that their little lives were taken so let's make sure these girls get the justice they deserve when they were taken by the person who literally has it in them naturally to nurture them and care for them. Instead, she killed them. Never forget Jasmine and Cheyenne. We will be keeping up on their case and we will absolutely post an update when their trial concludes. Thanks for listening. I'm Kayla Waters. I host this podcast, research, write, and edit it as well. Our co-host is Alicia Jenkins. Our palate cleanser is given to us by Charlie Waters. And our music was created by Jaden Schultz, who you can find on Instagram at InPajamas Music. Make sure to follow us on Instagram at True Crime Expod, True Crime E-X-P-O-D, and follow us on TikTok, True Crime Exposed Podcast. Hi, I'm Charlie Waters, and today we're going to be talking about eyeballs. For our palate cleanser, did you know in order for your eyeballs to work, there are two million working parts. So eyes are pretty complex. And it seems amazing that all those parts work together. And fun fact, that you cannot sneeze and keep your eyes open. It's impossible. Eyeballs will just pop out of your head. Bye. Have a great day. For our organization today, I'm just going to reiterate what we already discussed in this podcast where the Fairbanks Police Department asked anyone suspecting that a child is being abused to contact your local law enforcement or call the Child Abuse Hotline at 1-800-478-4444. And again, if you know anything about the Zachary Johnson case that just happened this past weekend, make sure to call the Fairbanks Police Department at 907-450-6550 or email them at fpdinvestigations at fairbanks.us. Never ever be afraid to call in when you are suspicious of child abuse or neglect because what's the worst that can happen? They'll check on these kids and hopefully there is nothing going on. But if there is, you could literally save a child's life just by reporting the abuse. The system we know is far from perfect, but that's the hope, right? That if we report these things and we take action, that some little innocent child will be saved because no child on this earth deserves to be abused by those who are supposed to love them. Please, again, if you suspect anything, call the child abuse hotline at 1-800-478-4444.